There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Exodus chapter number 26. Exodus 26. Yeah, can you run that up here? (laughs) Appreciate that, Kevin. Exodus 26, I forgot to pick up my microphone so that when I run through the building you can you can hear me Exodus 26 let's all stand honor and reverence to God's word Exodus 26 thank you so much Kevin Exodus 26 we want to start reading we'll just read two particular verses as you know on Sunday night you that have been here we've been studying the tabernacle and making our way through that making application and in the different passages and points of the tabernacle, and we are at the veil. Remember, I told you when we came into the tabernacle, I said, we'll look at the furniture, and then we'll come back and look at the two veils that place us into the holy place. And that's what we'll do tonight. In uh, Exodus 26, it might help if I got there, Exodus 26 and verse number 31. We'll look at verse 31, then we'll skip down to verse 36. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work with cherims shall it be made. And thou shalt hang it upon the four pillars of shittim wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold upon the four sockets of silver. Now skip down to verse 36. And thou shalt make a hanging for the door of the tent of blue and of purple and of scarlet and fine twined linen wrought with needlework. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to talk about the veils of the tabernacle. These two individual veils will quickly make application and, and worship the Lord through the receiving of His Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You uh, for the testimony that's been shared tonight and all that You've said in our hearts through uh, Brother Tony and Sister Linda and Father, uh, uh, for Sister Lisa. And God, I pray uh, that You would touch their ministry, meet their needs. Father, uh, we pray that you would bless this uh, time as we go into your word, that you'd speak to our hearts. God, help us to make application. God, I pray that you would show us the meaning of these veils and show us where we can be in our Christian experience. And God, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. You know, theology itself is rooted in this one basic thought. God is not like us. You see, theology in itself is trying to, it is the pursuit to find out who God is and what God is like. The Bible reveals that God says of Himself in Leviticus 11, 44 and 11, 45 and 1 Peter 1, 6, he, 1, uh, 1, 6, he says, I am holy. I am holy. God says that of Himself. I am holy. Now, holy, it means separate, apart, different. It even says that the Lord Jesus in Hebrews seven twenty six that He is undefiled and separate from sinners. This difference is displayed in the tabernacle physically. There's a physical difference, a separation that is seen in the tabernacle that depicts 
uh, the holiness of God. And it is these dividers, these partitions uh, that we see throughout the tabernacle. There was a divider at the outer fence. You remember how that the, the tabernacle proper, that tent, had a fence around it, around the outside. Inside that was called the outer court. And at the outer court on the east side was this large opening. This They called it the gate. And so there was one partition there that separated the outer court where all the sacrifices took place from the uh, from the tents and the and the uh, what what did I call it here in my notes the outer court uh, 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 and and the uh, the camp that was outside of all the tents and all the tribes of Israel. Then there was a divider between the outer court and the. Uh, holy place. Remember, that's where we've been over these past three or four messages. We've been in that holy place. That place where the table of showbread was and the candlestick and the altar of incense. It was a divider between the outer court and the most holy. And tonight we'll see the veil. And many of you know the veil from the New Testament Scripture. How that when Jesus died across, the veil was rent in twain. Well, that veil was part of the tabernacle. And it separated the holy place Showbread, candlestick, altar of incense from the most holy place. Sometimes called the holy of holies. It is that place where the ark of the covenant reside, the mercy seat, and God himself was on that. So it's a series of partitions between these places. Now these last two will be our focus of tonight. It's that door on the outside of the tabernacle proper and the veil between the holy place and most holy place. And there are three distinctions I want to cut, to bring out of these two partitions that if we look closely at can give us insight into our nearness to God. You remember, this whole tabernacle is about getting sinful man to a holy God. We want to know God. We want to know what it means to be right with God. And so that's what the tabernacle teaches us. And so I believe if we look at these veils, we'll draw insight on drawing close to God. So the first thing I want you to see is this. First insight is this. I want you to see the portal of separation. The portal of separation. That's in verse number 36. Look at what it said. And thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet. So this one is talking about what? It's talking about the door, the veil that's on the outside of the tabernacle that separated the holy place from the outer court. So when you were, you were let's say you were walking in. Let's get our, let's get our uh, bearings set here. You come in at the gate. There's the brazen altar. The sacrifice is given. There's the brazen labor. We cleanse ourselves of of filthiness of our hands and our feet. And we go into the holy place. Table of showbread, candlestick, altar of incense. What we come through into that room is this first veil. A portal of separation. Now I want you to notice, uh, first of all, about this portal. The entrance into separation. Now again, this separation between the holy place and the outer court. It stood between the brazen altar and the brazen laver and the table of showbread, candlestick, and the altar of incense. Now the size of this hanging, if you'll remember when we went over the framework of the tabernacle, how that the, the tabernacle itself on the outside was shaped in a square. 15 feet wide, wide, 15 feet tall, and uh, a certain amount deep. I can't remember that exactly off the top of my head. But the veil itself 
would be a perfect square. 15 by 15. So that gives us the dimensions of this outer hanging. 15 by 15. Now I want you to think back to the gate long time ago. Remember that message I talked to you about the gate? And we all praise God that there was a gate to begin with. But he could have put a fence out there and we could have never got inside. But God in mercy put a gate. You remember the size of that gate? It was seven and a half feet tall and it was 30 feet wide. I mean, it was wide enough for many people to come in. But then we get to this tent now and what is it? 15 by 15. I believe there's a lesson for us in the entrance there into this tabernacle. I want you to see that this, first of all, in the, in the width of it, you think about that gate, 30 feet wide, plenty of room to come in. And we, we preached about it in the message, how that that suggests that whosoever may come, anybody can come into the tabernacle. Anybody can come and have sins forgiven. But it narrows at the tabernacle. It gets narrower. It gets more difficult. It gets more... uh, And the narrowness suggests that there are few that go on with God. There are few. Plenty of people want to come into the front gate. They'll take Jesus as their Savior, but they never really come to the point of a self-sacrifice, a laying down of their own will, a cleansing of their self so they can go in. They just spend time on the outer gate. Our churches are filled with them. Those that say, I've got my ticket to heaven, that's all I want. Oh, there's a problem with that. Listen, if we want to go on with God, there must be a a making our way into this holy place. Now, also in the height, you remember how at the gate it was what? Seven and a half feet tall. I don't know if I can reach that height. Might have been about this high. Not very high compared to the door. Now the door we're talking about, how, many, how tall was it? 15 feet high. There's a difference in height. What well, some authors suggest, this is just speculation, but I think it makes real good insight, is that the further you go with God, the greater heights you'll go. <laughs> the greater heights and deeper depths of knowing God and relationship with God. Oh, listen. On the outside, all you saw was smoke and brass and and burning and this and that. On the inside is where the gold is. On the inside is where the beautiful tapestries are. On the inside is where the glory is. On the inside is the fellowship. On the inside is the illumination. On the inside is the incense. But so many Christians don't want to go that far. They don't want to go into the uh, into the difficult gate. They want to take their time and spend uh, uh, their days on the outside and not really press to get closer to God. Like I said, many have their ticket to heaven and they really don't care about going any further. My mindset is that if that's your attitude, I don't really think you got a ticket. If your attitude is, I just want in, I just want to get into the pearly gates by the skin of my teeth, I really doubt if you're going to make it. Because a real real genuine child of God wants to know God. Wants to go on to further heights and depths with God. I think about John 10.10. We use it in our faith visitation, our evangelism. How that we'll say, 
in John 10, 10. Yes, when we come to know the Lord Jesus, we have, uh, we have the promise of heaven in the hereafter. And we can go to heaven and be with the Lord when we die. But listen, we can enjoy heaven in the here and now. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, there's a, we can go to heaven. Why? We can have heaven on the way to heaven. That's what God wants us to know. He wants us in the tabernacle. He wants us in that place of fellowship. He wants us in that place of illumination. So many of us just straggle on the outside and never yield ourselves in sacrifice to God, never seek out to cleanse ourselves from the filth of this world, to set ourselves apart to go in to that special relationship, a place, an entrance of separation. But then also, I want you to see not only the entrance of separation, but the enjoyments of separation. You know, once we come in, remember the whole reason I preached one, two, three, the previous messages is to let you know, boy, it's a special place. Did I not? Did we not? That's a special place to be. I mean, we talked about that table of showbread and how that bread's there. And we talked about how that Jesus meets all our needs. That Jesus is the one that satisfies. That Jesus is the bread of life. That we can have fellowship with the Father at this table of feasting. Oh, we know from that table we can be satisfied. And then we went over to that candlestick and we saw illumination. We saw Jesus in that candlestick, how that He is the light of the world and He sheds light on all, all the beauties that we know in this personal relationship, in this intimate relationship with God. We've seen the illumination of God gives. And then we go into prayer. We talked about that, I think, last week. Talked about prayer. And the privilege of going before God and the billows of smoke which indicate our prayers going to God through that veil into the very presence of God. That's a special place. That is the enjoyments of separation. When we have that point where we say, I'm not going to stay out in the outer court. I'm going to go on with God. I'm going to go follow God. I'm going to go to further, uh, deeper depths and higher heights with God. Then there are enjoyments that can be enjoyed on the other side of that veil. And so the first veil is a portal of separation. Separation between that outer court life and a new and intimate life with the Lord Jesus in relationship. Second of all, I want you to see not only the portal of separation, but the point of limitation. Point of limitation. Now, but when even at this point of separation, let's say you've already come into that holy place. Oh my goodness. All the beauty of the gold and the tapestries and the gold walls and the, and the, and the, the, the candlestick and all the beauty that's in that room. I mean, it's wonderful. It's joyous. But, but God, we know that God's on the other side. We know that just across that veil is the very presence of Shekinah glory of the Lord, the, ta- the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. But there is a stop. There is a limitation. There is a veil there that is even more important than the one we just came through. It is a place of enjoyment where we are permitted to go, but that veil says no more, no further. Don't go any further. This is as far in this dispensation that you can go. This is as far as you can be going, God. This is as close as you can get to God. I want you to see in this point of limitation the picture of the veil. Look at verse 31. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen of cunning work with cherubims and shall it be made. Now this is that inner veil. 
This is that separation between the holy place and the most holy place. Now look at how it's made together. It's put together with what? These colors. Both these veils, both that outer veil and the inner veil, are a picture of the character of Jesus. And we went over some of this before, but I want to go over it again. How that these veils picture the Lord Jesus. The fine twined linen to say uh, to make it out of. It was that fine twined Egyptian yarn woven tightly together. And it speaks of the purity, the righteousness, the faultlessness of Jesus. As First Peter tells us, He was spotless and without sin. And then we see also the blue reference. The blue was produced from a species of shellfish, probably more closely associated with an indigo color. But it's that blue color that speaks of Jesus' divine origin. How He is one that was sent from God. His origins are in eternity past. He robed, He took off uh, the, the omnipresence of Him. He emptied of Himself uh, and came down to this earth, robed Himself in human flesh and walked among. But it speaks of Jesus' deity. The, the incarnation uh, to the, uh, to the, uh, to species incarnation. John 13 and verse number 3. Jesus knowing all that the Father had given all things in His hands, that He had come from God and went to God. Jesus Himself is from above. And then not only, not only we see purple, but we see, uh, or blue, but we skip over purple, go to scarlet. Scarlet is the color of red. Scarlet was a bright red dye produced from worms or grubs that were ground up. And it pictures Jesus' humanity. Adam, the word Adam means red. It speaks of human blood. It speaks of man's, uh, of humanity. In, uh, the incarnation of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. How the, remember I've told you several times, He was as much God as if He had never been man. He was as much man as if He had never been God. But it speaks of Jesus' humanity and His death upon the cross. Jesus shed His rich red drops of blood on Calvary's cross. Romans 3.25 Whom God hath set forth, talking about Jesus, to be a propitiation uh, through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Red speaks of the blood of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. And then we have purple. Purple. Purple was produced by the secretion of these purple snails they would get. I, I would try to pronounce the name, but I, I'm afraid I'd spit on you worse than I already do. So it's a, it's a type of, of shell that they would crush or, or, or snail they would crush and get that purple color. That purple color. And purple speaks of the kingship of deity. You know, Jesus Christ's life is always marked with kingship. From His birth, he was, he, was born, he was born of a kingly line in Luke one thirty two. He was born a king in Matthew 2.2. He was mocked as a king in Matthew 27.29. He was declared a king at His crucifixion, Matthew 27.37. And praise God, He's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19.60. He is the king. King of kings and Lord of lords. It's a picture of the body and the person of Jesus. But now we see a picture of the veil, 
But I want you to see the proclamation of the veil. This veil says something. This veil says something. On this veil, if you'll notice in verse number verse number 32, and thou shalt hang in verse number 31, a, a fine twine linen of cunning work. Oh, I want to point this out. That word cunning work, it refers to the skill with which it was made. Do you realize that we we know the uh, we know the person that actually made all these things that go in there? His name was Beiziel, I believe that's his name, Beiziel. And it says in the scriptures that God had gifted him by the Holy Spirit to perform this this uh, this ornate and cunning, skillful work. Boy, I think that's such a beautiful picture of what, what happened when Jesus came into this world. Who, who did He go to? By the Holy Spirit. He went, he went to that little, that little uh, a Jewish girl named Mary. And, and, and God, uh, God planted in her womb the very, the very seed of God in her womb. And by the... He, what does it say? He said that, uh, that the, the, uh, the angel told Mary that the, uh, that the shadow of the Most High will overshadow thee. And the Holy Spirit, born of the Holy Spirit, would plant in her womb the very seed of God. Oh, what a what a con what a uh, not a contrast what a parallel between her and Bezaliel. But let's go on. Not only the picture of the veil, but the proclamation of the veil. Now, this veil says something. Embroidered on the outside, it had these cherubims. Now, we don't know much about cherubims. We've seen them a couple of times. You remember when we come in to those coverings on the tabernacle and how that those, how that those cherubim were put in that inner covering that the priests could see? And, and we, but we don't really know a whole lot about them. What we do know is this. That they have a that they 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 are a symbol of God's guarding, a symbol of God's guarding to guard something. In Genesis three twenty four, they were placed at the entrance of the Garden of Eden when uh, to prevent Adam and Eve from going in. You see, God seems to be saying in this uh, in this veil in this veil before the Holy of Holies that you are to stay out. No access. No permission to come in. Access denied. You can't come in. He is saying no. Now, now I bet you're thinking in your mind, well, wait a minute, Brother Ronnie. You just said that these veils were a picture of the incarnation and the life of Jesus. His perfection, His royalty, His, His humanity, His divinity. It's a picture of Jesus. Well, how is Jesus telling us to, Jesus telling us to stay out? Well, you think about this. If that veil is a picture of the life of Jesus, it is a barrier between us and God. What I'm trying to say is, is that Jesus' life, listen very closely, it is not the life of Jesus that saves. It's not the life of Jesus that allows us to come to God. Jesus could have come to this earth and lived a spotless life perfect life, and then ascended into heaven and never died on the cross, it would have not benefited us one bit. I want you to understand that. This veil is a barrier. It says no. Don't, don't get ahead of me now. We're going to the rent veil. Don't get ahead of me. Stay right here for a minute. Don't skip on down to Matthew just yet. It is a veil that says say out. It says that man is sinful and God is holy. It, it, is, 
It indicates and reminds us that we are separate from God. That we are separated from God. That we have no access to Him. Remember the only one that could go in there was that great high priest one time a year at the Day of Atonement. And he would go in there shaking hands with blood with blood in a basin and flick it seven times at the altar and back his way out. And that was it for a whole year. You just couldn't go in there and pull up an easy chair and, and talk to the Lord. You couldn't just go in there and, and say, How you doing in the morning, Lord? No, you, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You see, and that brings us to the last point. Not only have we seen a portal of separation, that's that first veil between the outer court and the holy place, and then the point of limitation, it's that veil that come down and said, you can't go to where the ark is. You can't go in there where God is. That brings us to a place of invitation. Now you can turn to Matthew. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew Matthew chapter number 27. Look at verse 50. Matthew 27 and verse number 50. Matthew 27 and verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The veil of the tabernacle, and then the, and this other veil, this veil seemed to be saying, "Stay out." It stood there for thousands of years. Now, the veil that was from here, from this passage, was from the temple. Remember, the tabernacle was just temporary, just a temporary location as it traveled about. When they got into Jerusalem, they built a temple and they placed a veil in there. But, it's, uh, but we see that through the death of Jesus, through this rending of the veil, a place of limitation was turned into a place of invitation. A place of limitation. You can't go no far. That's as close as you get has turned into a place of invitation. I want you to see, first of all, the making of the invitation. Now, other gospel accounts seem to indicate that this cry in verse number 50 was Jesus' utterance from the cross to Telestine. It is finished. What that means, not I am finished, but it is finished. The work that Jesus was sent to do, to die on the cruel, rugged cross, was finished there in those last moments on the cross. The payment of sin. You see, it was through the death of the Lord Jesus that we have direct access to God. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine being a priest and working in that temple that day? All of a sudden, it's ripped from the top, very distinct in the Scripture, isn't it? From the top where no man's hands could get to it, from the top all the way to the bottom, making an access, making a path directly through. Hebrews 10, 19 uh, through 25 uh, or no, Hebrews, excuse me, Hebrews uh, oh, 10, 19 and 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which ye have consecrated for us through the veil, black and white, through the veil that is to say His flesh. Why the author takes us straight into the temple, straight in front of that holy place, and they're saying, 
that's Jesus. And when he died, he parted the way and made access to God. You see, in order for sins to be forgiven, someone has to put blood in there in that tabernacle for our sins. Hebrews 9 and 12, neither by the blood of goats and of calves, or by the his own, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, the blood of bulls and calves, it never worked. It was a picture. It was a, a postcard from God saying, This is what's coming. No, there's no way a, a heifer can save you. There's no way a, a, a goat can save you. There's no way a lamb can save you. Not a turtle dove. It's just a test. It's just a picture. Because I'm sending one that will come kind for kind. I'm sending a perfect sacrifice. I'm sending one that is without sin, without blemish. And He, His own blood, will be atonement for sin. You see, the way is opened up by the death of Jesus. That's the making of the invitation. But I want you to see, last of all, the meaning of the invitation. What does this rent veil mean? It means that we have a mediator. 1 Timothy 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. This means that we can come anytime into the presence of God with confidence. See, that's what those priests didn't have. They couldn't come with confidence. They, they went in there fearful if they'd made one wrong misstep, if they'd done one wrong Thing. It could mean their very life before such a holy God. Oh, but we now, through that rent veil, we can come right into His presence. We can sit before the Lord and speak to Him as a man speaks to another man. Not by our own righteousness, not by our own merits or our own abilities, but because of the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 19, or Hebrews 10, 20, uh, 19 through 25. We read a little earlier. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which yet consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, through His flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Oh, what an invitation. <laughs> hey, they used to say, you stay out of here. Those cherubims wielded their sword. Don't go any further. But now, he said, draw nigh. Draw nigh with a pure conscience. Draw nigh unto God. Let's read on. Having a, uh, well, let's see. We can let us draw nigh with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us consider one another to provoke one another unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another all uh, and so much more as you see the day approaching. There is no other way to God but by the blood of Jesus. Not necessarily in His life in and of itself, but that precious, beautiful, spotless life that was torn to shreds, that was ripped in two, that invites us into the very presence of God. What a privilege. What a privilege we have. There is a new and living way. And you're invited into it. 
That's one thing about this tabernacle study is it has shown me what a privilege it is to know God. So many times we take it for granted, don't we? You know, it's like being able to see your wife or your husband. You kind of take it for granted, don't you? If you were separated by a couple of months and you just had one chance to go a few hours out of your way to go see your wife, boy, you'd take advantage of that. Oh, you'd go in there, you'd go see them. It'd be such a treasure, it'd be such a thrill after such an extended period of time. But oftentimes, when we're inviting this prayer, we, don't, we just take it for granted, don't we? We take for granted. Why, wow, those Old Testament priests, those priests like Aaron would be in awe of us being to go, you yourself, you're not a high priest. Matter of fact, you're an old Gentile dog. What in the world? And you say that you can come to Jesus directly? You don't need a priest? That's what I said, Aaron. Oh, listen. Because we have a new and living way, it is Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 6. We'll do this in closing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I find it very interesting that there are three gates. There's the outer gate, which is the way. All sinners need to come into the way. Come into the, come into the presence of God. Come for the cleansing, the sacrifice of Jesus for sin. There is the truth. The truth of the abundant life of a believer to fellowship with God, to be satisfied in Him, to be illuminated by His, the light of the world, to call on God and have the privilege of intercession before God. The way the truth. And through that rent veil, there is life. There is life. There is life. You say, well, Brother Ronnie, have you ever, have you ever been in that through the veil place? Matter of fact, I got, I got the chance this morning. Got the chance to slip past that outer court through that holy place and go right into His presence. I didn't have to come in trembling and shaking, wondering if I was clean, wondering if I was just so, just perfect, wondering if my blood sacrifice was spotless. No, Hebrews tells us we can come in boldly. Not in our own self, in our own opinion, in our own ability, but by the blood of Jesus. He is the ground on which we can come into His presence. He is the part through the veil in which we can go right on in. I was listening to a preacher talk about those priests, if you'll read the book of Acts, you'll find out how that it says that many of the priests came to know Jesus. I wonder if that rent veil had something to do with it. You know, about the time that Jesus rented, they were all in there working. Can you imagine? They were trimming the lamps and they were placing the showbread and they were doing this and that. And then all of a sudden it ripped from top to bottom. The place shook. Things begin to jingle and jangle. And then all of a sudden, after the smoke had cleared, look, look, Hezekiah, Matthias, look. Look, we can see right on in there. We could, we could walk right on in there. I've never known what it, I've always wondered what it looked like on the inside. Look, we can see it. Oh, it's, a, it's just a shadowing of the truth that we enjoy every day as believers in Jesus Christ. We can come to God in boldness and full assurance that His blood was sufficient to make a way into His presence. What a thrill that is. Let's all stand. Elvis, if you'll come with a song of invitation. I don't really know how to invite you and, and, and have an invitation. Maybe it's this truth that you've not seen the advantage and the privilege that you have to come 
to Jesus Christ, to come into His presence. Listen, maybe you'd like to come to this altar and say, God, I'll not neglect your presence again. God, you're waiting on me. You're inviting me in. You talk to me about my day. You ask me how things are going. I tell you. Oh, I read this thing where it was talking about that inner place where you talk to God and we come to the end of our devotion time and God says, well, you're leaving? Well, be back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. I'd like to see you again. We have a standing invitation to come before Him without fear, without fear of rejection, without fear of judgment. Why? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I freely give. We give everything to Him because He paid all and made access to God. I'm trusting to the Unseen Hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.